Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy, the host of Theana Money. Several episodes ago, I mentioned doing some occasional de- more devotional mini episodes. Uh, y'all know how I'm due to uh, time constraints and all that moved to doing every other week episodes instead of every week episodes and uh, as much as I don't like that and want to move back to every week episodes uh, the time constraints are still there so I have not been able to do that yet but as one small step in that direction I mentioned wanting to do sometimes like maybe once a month or so on the off week the week in between episodes releasing a short like five or ten minute more devotional episode covering a passage of scripture or occasionally a topic. I said I would call these Redemptive Lens episodes of Theana Money after the name of a blog that's it's a blog that some friends and I used to do back in the day, back in like 2019, uh, 2020, and that's what we called it, the Redemptive Lens. And so just pulling on that name, so I'm not counting this in the numbering of the episodes of Theana Money, I'm just counting it as RL1. And uh, so with all of that, already cutting into that, trying to keep this under 10 minutes. So I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. A brief recap for something I'm sure most, if not all, my listeners are familiar with. Genesis 1, first six days of creation. Genesis 2, we have day 7 at the beginning where God rested. Not because God needed rest, he's God. But because we need rest and God was setting up that paradigm there that would later be understood as the Sabbath. Then the rest of uh, Genesis chapter 2 is going back over the sixth day of creation in more detail and explaining that, explaining not just God made Adam and Eve, but making Adam first, Adam naming the animals, then God creating Eve from Adam's rib, and all of that. Then we get to Genesis 3. Here we have uh, Satan in the form of a serpent deceiving Eve, her eating, Adam failing in his duty to protect his wife and crush the serpent's head and eating as well. And then God coming and asking Adam and Eve what they did. Not because God doesn't know. He's God. But God asking Adam and Eve to make them admit what they did wrong. What God already knew. And they already knew, but God was asking them to make them admit it to him. So then verses 14 through 19 of Genesis chapter 3, we have the curse. God gives the curse on the serpent, the curse on Eve, the curse on Adam, in that order. The curse on Adam and Eve, by the way, at this point, her name is not Eve yet. Her name is just woman. She will be, by the end of this chapter, named Eve, and that's going to be important when we get there. But for ease and, you know, familiarity, I'm just going to say Eve instead of the woman. So, the curse on Adam, and by extension all men, is in his primary vocation, like the difficulty of providing for one's family and I would say also by extension not just the difficulty of it but also the sinful tendency towards laziness when the need to work to provide for one's family comes into play. 
the woman relating to her vocation. Now, part of the curse for Eve, and by extension, all women, is pain in childbirth, and also now, submission to her husband, which was a thing before the fall in Genesis 2 as well, but now it would be difficult. The woman would want to usurp her husband's authority as head of the household, and then the man would also be tempted to uh, abuse his leadership in the household. And then the serpent, we have this, uh, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, but you shall bruise him on the heel. Of course, many people recognize this as the Proto-Evangelion, the first prophecy of the gospel, or the first declaration of the gospel in all of scripture. So we see prophesied there this enmity between the serpent and the woman. And while this, in some sense, was prophetic of what we see later on with Genesis of like Cain and Abel, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, seed of the woman with a lowercase s, uh, Ham and uh, Shem, uh, and other examples throughout Genesis. We see this most of all with the capital S, seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, the one that Genesis 3.15 is ultimately referring to, and uh, then uh, Satan, as Jesus will come to crush the serpent's head, as we see at the end of the verse, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So Jesus is being prophesied here that he will crush the serpent's head, and in the process of crushing the serpent's head, he will be injured or harmed in some way. As stomping the serpent's head bruises his heel, uh, metaphorically speaking, we are looking back on this in our New Testament eyes as we're going through this. Some of the things I say are things I think Adam and Eve to some degree understood. Some of the things we really only get by looking back at the Old Testament through our New Testament eyes, which is something I think we should do. But we should also be careful when we do it because we know we are reading things and understanding things that God has given us, but that the original audience, when this was first given, did not understand. And so we see there that, you know, at the time Adam and Eve may have not known if it was literal or metaphorical, we know it was metaphorical. Jesus' heel will be bruised in the process of crushing the serpent's head. So we have two prophecies there in Genesis 3.15 I want to point out. The seed of the woman, who we know as Jesus, will come to crush the serpent's head and will be harmed in some way in the process of doing it. That's the first one. The second one, the seed of the woman, Jesus, will be born of a virgin. You see, when people talk about the prophecy of the virgin birth, they like to go to Isaiah, and that's great. Isaiah does prophesy the virgin birth, and he makes it a little bit easier to notice than Genesis 3.15, so it's a nice one to go to because of that. But Isaiah is the second of the two prophecies of the virgin birth given in the Old Testament, the first one being right here, Jesus and the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 is called the seed of the woman. That is implying a virgin birth because normally children are called the seed of the father. The redeemer, Jesus, is not prophesied as the seed of Adam. He's prophesied as the seed of Eve, which is a prophecy of that virgin birth. You know, children are called after their father. You have your dad's last name, or there's that meme that goes around periodically where the feminist is saying, I'm going to fight the patriarchy by taking my mom's last name. And the guy responds to her, oh, you mean your grandfather's last name? Like, children are named after their father. They get their father's last name. It is significant 
then that Genesis 3.15 says the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man. And that is a prophecy of the virgin birth. And so then we have the rest of the curse after verse 15. First verse after the curse is done. Verse 20. Adam names his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. This is coming from the Legacy Standard Bible. Adam names his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. I don't think this is just a general statement about Adam and Eve are the only humans and therefore all other humans are descendants of them. In that general way, it is true. But I think this is specifically mentioned as a statement of faith on Adam's part. Adam recognized God's promise in verse 15. And verse 20 is our declaration of faith in Adam's part. It is basically to Adam what Genesis 15:6 is to Abraham. I guess we could kind of look at it that way. Adam recognizes that this descendant of Eve, the seed of the woman, will come to crush the serpent's head and therefore in faith in God names his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And then the immediately next verse after that, verse 21. Then Yahweh God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. After Adam's statement of faith, after what I'm arguing is Adam's statement of faith, and not just me, many people say this is a statement of faith on Adam's part. Then God kills an animal and makes leather clothing for Adam and Eve. Now, some critics of the Bible will try to say Genesis 2 and 3 contradict each other, because in Genesis 2, God said, the day that Adam eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he will die. And in Genesis 3, he didn't die. Well, that's a wrong criticism. One, Adam died spiritually. Adam was not born or created spiritually dead, as all of us are who are born in Adam. So Adam died spiritually, but also this animal, we aren't sure what animal it is. If I had to guess, I would say a lamb because Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This lamb or whatever other animal it was died in the place of Adam and Eve as God killed it to make leather clothing to cover Adam and Eve. And this too, while not an explicit prophecy like verse 15 was, I think is a foreshadow and parallel to the gospel. So let's with our New Testament glasses read verses 15 and verse 21, verses 15 and 21 in light of one another. Jesus will be born of a virgin. He will come to crush the serpent's head and he will be in some way harmed in the process. Verse 21, the way he will be harmed in the process is he will sacrifice himself like that animal was sacrificed on behalf of Adam and Eve. And then like how that animal because of its sacrifice, clothed Adam and Eve, Jesus will clothe us with his righteousness if we, verse 20, put our faith in him. So to wrap it all up in one concise statement, just from Genesis chapter 3 alone, reading into it with our Old Testament, reading into it with our New Testament eyes, we see that there is a prophecy that Jesus will be born of a virgin, crush the serpent's head, by sacrificing himself, and in so doing, he will clothe us in his righteousness if we have faith in him. Friends, that is basically the entire gospel right there. And we got it all from Genesis chapter 3. The very chapter where the fall happened, by the end of the chapter where the fall happens, 
we already have the gospel laid out, either in direct prophecy or foreshadowing and parallelism. That is how amazing and merciful our God is. And now we're already at like 10 minutes. So with that, I just want to go ahead and close and maybe let you all spend some time thinking about that and just looking at how amazing that is, that all of that is in Genesis 3.15. So that was this week's Redemptive Lens episode of Theonomony. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Satisfies me Your law is sweet Oh, you satisfy me